Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations with me, your host, Freddie Cocker. As you may know by now, each pod, I check in with a very special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. On to my special guest now, and this is another person whom I connected with at a Whole Man Academy event. So please go check those guys out on social media and support other mental health platforms fighting the good fight for men's mental health. My special guest also runs his own mental health platform called Open. Don't worry, listeners, we're not in competition with each other unless he's uh, unless he says something wrong during this pod, in which case we are. But at the, for most of it, it's gonna we're not gonna we're not in competition. Um, Open provides its audience with inspiration, resources, and tools to help them feel safe expressing mental health issues that affect their day-to-day lives. Open gives people a platform to share their story and has built a community of mental health heroes similar to Vent, determined to crush the stigma around mental health. Their mission is to do what they can to make sure no one feels they are alone. So, I am delighted to welcome Open's founder, Ash Ledran, onto the Just Checking In pod. Now, I must preface this by saying I'm incredibly grateful for Ash coming onto the pod. <laughs> this is the second time we're attempting this. The first attempt, I'll just chalk down to technical issues. So for Ash to give up his time again, it is very, very appreciated. Ash, welcome to the Just Checking In pod, mate. Again, thank you for taking the time to chat to me. First of all, how are you and the family coping with the lockdown? Um, we spoke off air uh, last time we did this about how your son had been a bit under the weather. Uh, is he all better now? Yeah, he's all, all good. Thanks, mate. Um, it's It's been a, a really interesting time, but you've got to reflect on the positive. I'm sat here with uh, the sun gleaming through the blinds uh, of the room <laughs> I'm in. And um, yeah, I mean, it's what what more can you want, really? Um, the sun out makes you feel a lot better, doesn't it? So helps. Excellent. And now we've got that out of the way, shall we just crack on, mate? Let's go. best place to kick us off with ash is talking about open now for the listeners who are finding out about open for the first time through this pod just tell them what it is why you were inspired to start it and also what your vision for it is yeah so um open is a uh, sort of mental health community platform uh, now so a lot of the time it's uh, stories that people share uh, online through our through our platform. So we have lots of stories uh, that people write into us uh, all the time. Luckily, uh, and they vary from anxiety to depression, eating disorders, suicide attempts, stress, work pressures. You name it. Um, someone's uh, already written about it, or is in the process of writing about it. So the main premise is to have a site that's full of content uh, to make sure that people can read something hopefully associate with it resonate with it and uh, help them feel like they're not uh, the only people battling the situation excellent and you've run open since january 2019 so just over a year now what would you say your audience is made up of uh, and what are some of your favorite stories you've had on the platform yes yeah, so the, the audience is is made up probably of 18 to 30 year olds um although recently we have had a, a slightly older demographic uh join us and a slightly older demographic that's been writing content which is great because it's it just gives another 
a sort of view on view on life and other take on the world and that's been really interesting to read and i think a lot of the younger readers have uh found a use in that because i think a lot of people believe that adults kind of have it all sewn up that life's uh, a breeze and actually when you when you become an adult you realize that's not actually the case so having those uh stories is is really helping a lot of the stories uh that we've had is, have been great it's very hard to pick uh, a favorite the ones i like are the ones that are have deep meaning deep personal meaning and that really um really tell a story whether that be i mean one of the ones that i'm just thinking of now was one that was anonymous post uh with uh, about an eating disorder and how they went to their doctor and the doctor told them that oh no you don't look ill so therefore you're not when actually as we all know um physical uh looks are very different to what's happening inside so that one resonated with a lot of people and yeah that's probably one of my favorites excellent and let me just talk to you a bit about the way open is spelled as well ash as people will know if they've gone to the site that it's spelled op and then sort of underscore n was there a particular reason why you chose that spelling or, or why the letter e is missing yes yeah, so a big shout out to um david oswald and ian mumford at the escape which is a agency in basingstoke who i worked with for a number of years and luckily they offered to do some branding for us for absolutely free which was amazing uh, there's no way we could have been able to afford it uh, otherwise and um, the idea behind it is that the sort of underscore in between the p and the n is the space that uh, we want to give you and the space that we think you should give yourself in life to take the pressure off take it easy and um, unwind and relax and when you're sort of sourcing these stories, Ash, and, and when you're putting them on, on open, mm-hmm. has there ever been a story that has really sort of floored you or, or made you sort of think about something yourself, maybe challenged you or, or just maybe learned, maybe, maybe helped you learn something as well? Yeah, so I mean, I was lucky enough to, uh, he, he's, a, he's a friend of open, uh, Noah Kahan, which is a a singer some of you may have know, know of him um quite big on spotify he does a lot of his songs are around kind of uh confidence um a lot of anxiety related songs uh very nice chap i met him behind the scenes of his um sold out gig in london uh, to have a chat for a blog piece for open and i was just amazed at the fact that he the way he was talking the issues he was facing i found unbelievably true um looking on the outside in seeing him on stage you know proper musician electric guitar the works uh you know he looks like he has everything um Mm. but you know sold out gig in london lots of adoring fans t-shirts selling cds selling all that kind of stuff um but he had issues with anxiety still does have issues with anxiety and he was telling me that his performances his stage time is his freedom that's where he gets to unleash a lot of his anxiety a lot of his stress um and i found that you know incredible that music for him is his outlet and he's lucky enough that it's his job um so i think without it he would still be doing music he would he would still be performing maybe not in front of thousands of people but i think it really hit me that if you find something that helps you um pursue it because that's what he's doing and luckily enough he's making a a great living out of it being a great success but um 
even if you're not i'd still advocate just do something you enjoy because i think he's living proof uh, of that so that that really took me by surprise and that's something that i've i took great strength in learning Mm. and when you were first starting out open ash what were some of the main challenges that you run into oh um budget was issue um yeah it's 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 really difficult i mean because awareness is is tricky if if you're a startup it's it's very tricky you know organic posting on social media is pretty much pointless now it's very much pay to play um so unless you've got budget there's no your eyes your eyes don't really get on your content so it's that's that's where i've had the, the biggest uh the biggest problem um you know but you know there's nothing nothing you can really do about it you've got to keep plugging away hoping that lots of people see stuff and thankfully you know hard work and determination uh, does pay off and it's so nice when you see reading figures and website traffic numbers and um yeah it makes it all worthwhile when you know people are reading or listening or watching content Mm. And, I, and I hope that uh, my article on Open got you a few uh, page reads as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> you also wrote an article on Open, Ash, about your motivations for starting um, the platform in a bit more detail, particularly the, the passing of your grandfather when you were, tw- when you were 24. If yep. you could, just, just talk to me about that moment in your life, you know, how it happened and how it affected your mental health as well. Yeah, so my granddad was a huge part of my life. You know, he was he was my best friend for... 10, 12 years after my grandmother passed, he, he moved into our family home and yeah, he, he was, he was my best friend for, for for that, for that amount of time. Um, you know, when he moved in with us, the the doctor said, Oh, you know, he's not going to live for 18 months. Uh, the bugger went and lived for nearly 11 years. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, that was his character though. You know, he was sort of stoic and strong and, um, you know, he, he wasn't going to, taken over an answer and he, he he fought back many a thing in those in those 10 11 years um but yeah his his when you live with someone and do so much with someone for for that amount of time in such close quarters when they pass it's it's going to be tough and i just didn't give myself the time to grieve and recover from his passing at all so it was from let's say he died on a friday um i was back at work tuesday um you know I didn't give myself the time that I needed I just thought I need to jump straight back into work um that was the wrong thing to do and I I know that now and I wish I gave myself the time because I don't think I would have found myself in the situations I would later down the line had I had learned to grieve properly and and we'll talk about that in a bit more detail later on in the pod ash on your journey mm-hmm. but would you say before we move on that this moment of intense grief was perhaps your first experience of a of a truly like negative period of mental health or perhaps when mental health became something you know drastically more pertinent to you to you or or did you become aware of your mental health before this uh it was, it was definitely my first uh thing in my in my teens a few years before i was on I was on Roaccutane, the acne drug, and that that caused some some issues. Um, but I didn't know. I was so naive to what mental health was. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't have a clue about anything. So I was just putting it down to bad moods. Uh, when actually, I think when I was on Roaccutane, I I was anxious as fuck and I was depressed. Um, mm. But obviously, you know, when you're at school, 
and when you've got friends and football and all sorts of stuff to focus on it it again was something I pushed the back of my mind but definitely his death was the first time that I I've I really felt rock bottom really it hit me like a train so um you know I was one you know I was all I I was one of those people that at 17 18 looked at mental health like oh come on get on with it someone's died pull yourself together that kind of mentality now which I absolutely fucking hate um but it's, it's naivety that's all it is education I wasn't educated on it and um that you know that's something that I'm really passionate about doing now because um it's it's something that i need to happen i still have lots of conversations with people like who who, who think that way um but they're, they're but they're young so the educational point of view for young adults i think is is really important but going back to your point it was it was definitely the first time i felt like i needed help i was just probably too shy and um headstrong to seek the help that i needed it's really interesting that you talk about your experiences on Rakuten because for me, you know, I was going through an intense period of mental distress um, whilst like, when I had acne in school and ironically being on Rakuten uh, and seeing the the spots go away was almost like a self-esteem boost, which was really, which was really weird. So it's, it's really interesting how our, our experiences um, are sort of similar and also different in a way. Um, we often, we, we talk about this a lot on the pod, Ash, but we often say on this podcast and a lot of guests have echoed this, that, that grief is something which is almost more stigmatized than mental health. Mm. Is that something you'd agree with? And if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I, I do think that's true. I, I think a lot of the problem is with people taking the mick, out of grief uh people phoning up work having days off because uh relatives have died relatives they're not even close to or even making uh, i know people that have made up death to the family to get a day off work it's really bad so i think grief kind of has that stigma to it as long as it's kind of okay someone's died but you're still here so you know why can't you work um whereas um luckily now i think employers and uh people in general are taking a much stronger look at mental health and understanding the importance of it um but it's it's the issue is that people don't understand that like me grieving was the trigger for all of it so if if i have someone sort of in my team now or someone i work with and a relative has passed with them like i, I will just say take you need to take time off work you, you have to um you're not coming back in i'm gonna lock the door because <laughs> 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 you know I, I don't want you to be in the, the same situation and feel the same as as i did that's really good that you're sort of taking that experience that you've learned ash and, and passing it on to to your, you know your colleagues and, and helping them as well mm-hmm. i think another point important point to recognize ash is that at some point in all of our lives we're all going to face grief you know no one's going to go for their entire life without facing grief at some point yeah. i always say the only you know there's the classic saying that the only thing certain in life is death and taxes unless you live mm-hmm. in monaco maybe yeah. um and reading and pay- reading fc losing <laughs> playoff finals <Yeah. laughs> I didn't want to mention that now. I didn't want to mention it now. I'm a Huddersfield fan, but I wanted to keep that off the pod. <laughs> um, when you came out of this period of grief, Ash, what, what lessons did you learn from it? Uh, and what ones have you taken forward in your life today? Um, I've definitely learned to give myself time. If I have uh, a trigger, which makes me have sort of a breakdown or a period of uh, depression, um, I give myself time. Whereas before I would have just jumped straight back into X, Y, or Z. 
Um, that's the biggest thing for me. The second thing is finding that doing something I love is the best remedy for me. Um, mm. Tried antidepressants, anti-anxiety drugs, you know what, tried therapy, tried a couple of therapists, tried three therapists, I think. Um, and then finding out that the best remedy and medicine for me was sort of climbing mountains, uh, getting outdoors. Um you know that does absolute wonders for me unfortunately there aren't many mountains where i live in ascot um <laughs> uh so it's many uh many uh many months is you know, i get i spend seven eight hours driving up to the lakes um which i feel is my spiritual home if there's anyone listening to this pod ash who, who's going through a grieving period right now um which i guess given the current climate is probably a lot more than perhaps we can even realize um and is struggling what message or advice would you give them don't give up mm. um just, just, just things will get better that's the, the thing if you you know if you told me five years ago i'd be where i am today i, I would have called you absolutely i would have locked you up there's like no way i would have believed you <laughs> at all uh, it's the belief of the self-belief that you can get out of the slump you're in and if you're at the, the bottom of a mountain like i am a lot of the times the only way is is up you know you can't get you can't get any lower so you've got to look up keep walking keep going and you know tomorrow's another day you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow mm. just back to open now ash and you've also got a range of clothing that you produce to promote the platform just tell me how that came about and some of the apparel that's available as well yeah so i started um I just I got a few teas made just for uh, myself for promotional purposes when I was kind of doing talks or doing walks and stuff like that. Uh, and then some people got in touch with me and were saying, "Hey, I really like one of them." And I was like, "Okay, cool. Um, you can have one." Not thinking that you know it's a good way to uh, make money for open. And you know, twenty five percent of our uh, profits of merchandise go to Mind as well. So it's a good opportunity to to raise money. So we created some nice slogan T-shirts. Well, one of the first slogans we did is kind of our mantra now, which is lives, not likes, uh, which is our kind of mission to make people remember that life isn't all about social media numbers. Life isn't all about your social media presence. It's about you know, the way you live, the people you meet, the things you do, the way you live your life, um, not the numbers that sit on a digital dashboard somewhere so we started the lives not light campaign with the t-shirts we sold loads of them which is great and we still sell those now so the one thing that we say is that if you wear one of our tees it's you know like you're you're spreading out you're spreading a message and you're saying to everyone that you're open about talking about your mental health um it's a good little plug there with the word open as well lash i like that try and sneak it in you know <laughs> <laughs> don't worry i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bleep it out <laughs> um just talk to me a bit now um ash i know the sort of the circumstances around this pod uh given the current climate might hinder this this question but just (laughs) what plans have you got maybe coming up for open that you can share with me perhaps event exclusive or two yeah so we've we've got some stuff in the pipeline uh with southampton uh, university uh which is looking really cool um we've also uh, well, we were going to do another Three Peaks uh, challenge, uh, which we talk about in a bit, which we did in September. So we were going to plan on doing that. We've had to postpone that, which kind of like is our biggest was our biggest fundraiser last year. We're hoping to do that again this year, but we've not had the time to train, so that's going to be kind of a bit stupid to do it without any training. Um, and yeah, we're currently thinking about doing a uh, a magazine. No, 
Okay. So, um, Talk to you about that. Yeah, so obviously we get lots of stories and to be honest with you, I don't have at the minute of my other full-time job to be putting them all on the website. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the club, mate. <laughs> yeah. So the, the 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 thought is to do kind of like a you know quarterly uh, mag, and you know get lots of inspiring content uh, in there. And um, yeah, I want I'd I'd love to give it out as as a as like a freebie at London tube stations and stuff. Mm. So. Um, that's kind of an idea we're, we're, we're working on at the minute, but it's again, looking for advertisers, a mm. uh, little plug. And uh, <laughs> you know, I'll let you have that one. I'll, that'll, that'll go in. <laughs> um, but, you know, that would be, that'd be amazing. I, I would absolutely love that, to be able to give out thousands of copies of something uh, every day on the streets of London where people are stressed, people are pissed off, and people are in a hurry to just give them something to read that's not kind of red tops and stuff that gives them mm. inspiration about life and tips and advice for well-being. That would be that would be what that would be amazing. Mm. And if you need, you know, your first cover star, you know where I am. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Double spread as well. Yeah. Oh, mate, I'm gonna get. I'll get everyone involved. <laughs> Uh, just, just finally, Ash, for anyone listening to the pod who wants to follow Open or maybe want to share their story as well, where can they go and how can they get in touch? Uh, so we're on Instagram at uh, IamOPN and our website is uh, IamOPN.com. We talked about Open, Ash, and the amazing work you do. Now I just want to talk about your own journey. So, so first of all, just talk me through your early life, your teenage years, and were there any mental health experiences you can pinpoint looking back? You know, who is the me, who is the Ash that we meet at this point? I remember you saying about your acne. Was that ever a factor? Uh, acne was a huge factor. I feel like when I had acne, it just, I feel like it ruined my life at the time. Mm. I feel like I lost a couple of years of my, my, my sort of teenage years to acne through just being too shy uh, and too embarrassed to, to go outside. And that's really silly because I know that, you know, the people um, around me, actual friends and family, didn't really care. They, they didn't care what I looked like. They were just kind of wanted to be with me for me. But I thought the total opposite. I thought, why would anyone want to be seen with me when, you know, I have uh, such bad acne? Um so that that's de- that definitely shaped my, my teenage years. Um, and going on Rakuten was an absolute roller coaster. Uh, it, you know, it's, it did wonders for me in, in clearing my acne um, very quickly. That I'm very, very thankful for. Uh, I'm not thankful for sort of suicidal thoughts that it gave me, the aggression, the short-temperedness um, that it gave me. My friend still call them the Rowakatane years um, <laughs> when I'd kind of would lose a game of FIFA and just like launch the PlayStation across the room. So yeah, that's, that, that was definitely a, a, a an interesting sort of five years, I'd say. Mm. Uh, it's really interesting what you say there, Ash, because I definitely went through a bit of a roller coaster with it as well, but in a different way because my acne I had on my face quite severely mm-hmm. um, and Rakuten took that off, but I still have it on my spine uh, probably even more severely and I think looking back perhaps if I'd stayed on it a bit longer it could have gotten rid of the spots on my spine because they still were there and you so know why did why have... did you come off it I think was I think because um the effects were so amazing on my face mm-hmm. that 
I think we just didn't, I think, you know, maybe my mum and dad thought, you know, if he gets some vitamin D on his back and the sunshine, it maybe they didn't think it was the back, the back stuff was severe acne, if that makes sense. Maybe yeah. they just thought like, I was sweating a lot and you know what, it, you know, how it's like you go to the gym and you don't take the shirt off that you, you, you use straight away or something like that. You know what I mean? Pores mm-hmm. can get clotted up and I, and I don't put, put any blame on them for that, but you know, I, I have had to have like, you know, silicilic acid put on my back to like get rid of that spots and stuff and obviously it dries up your back a lot. So maybe in the future I might go back on Reaccutane if it gets rid of it because um, it is embarrassing and I, I do completely get what you mean. It is, there's a lot of stigma. Um, I remember when I got to about first year university and I had the most severe acne, I think, around sixth form. And I remember just untagging every picture that was on Facebook of oh, me. Mate, with the, yeah. Did you do the same? Yeah, mate, there's no pictures of me with acne anywhere. My mum might have a couple in the loft, but those apps, like, I can't, I couldn't look at it. You state in the article, Ash, that you wrote for, for Open, that acne, and I'm quoting you on this, masked who I was or, or who I wanted to mould myself into. Yeah. What did you mean by that? I just felt like I was wearing a Halloween mask at all, all, all times. Mm. I know people didn't look at me in that way, but I felt, I really, I really felt it and I really believed it at the time that, uh, that people were staring at me because of, uh, because of my acne. And I think it did affect, uh, kind of, definitely, I, it affected my confidence with girls. One million yeah, percent. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like, I was like, everyone's, too good for me like even the dinner lady like i can't even go there and um i feel you mate i feel you <laughs> even worse on one of your one of your best mates mum's the dinner lady as well but um <laughs> we won't name drop <laughs> it's um but yeah the the, the confidence kill it, it was a confidence killer uh mm. for me and i don't know how that could have affected how that could have affected things how things how my school years might have played out had i not had acne mm. um but it's you know I don't think I think it's best not to to dwell on that. Mm. Did you would you say that when it came to girls you had some sort of fear of missing out as well? That I definitely experienced that when it came to acne. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think because when you're at school you just think everyone's at it. When actually yeah, no one's 100%. at it. Um, you know, like so it's 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 a it's a belief that you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough, and everyone else is just like fully going for it mm. um and that does create a whole heap of anxiety um and i you know from the talks i've done in schools and the you know the kids i've spoken to um sex is the biggest one or mm. probably that's the biggest thing that gives kids anxiety is okay i haven't had sex but i think everyone else has Mm. and everyone else is thinking the exact same thing oh mate 100% the pressure is ridiculous I remember when I was in school I had acne I wasn't popular I was hated by a majority of the year group so I a, didn't feel like any girl would actually ever fancy me mm-hmm. and b like you've got my school was incredibly sort of the definition of toxic masculinity so you had all these boys bragging all the time about who they had had sex with or who they had inverted commas beat which i think is the most horrendous word in the english language um and you would just get and then if if someone had had sex they'd banter you and call you a virgin (laughs) it was horrific yeah i feel you yeah um if you if you could say Ash, what what were some of the the more difficult moments during this period your, period of your life? Was this a time when when ang- your anxiety, as you said, you've alluded to, began to really get worse, or was it just did you even really re- did you even really recognise that anxiety was a thing? No, I, I didn't know I didn't know what it was. I was blind 
to uh, anxiety. I was blind to depression, and I, I've you know I've got to be honest with you. Is at the time when God, what is this now? Twelve, fifteen years ago, uh, when depression was sort of openly laughed at by you know you'd hear your you'd hear adults talking like you know you'd hear you know, your, your mum and dad's barbecue you'd hear adults talking about depression being like oh you know sandra's been signed off with work with depression bloody bloody blah like slanging her off for it and it's like well and that was uh, everyone i kind of was around and um spoke to that seemed to be like the common thing so even i didn't i didn't want to admit it if i had it but i didn't even know if I had it, what were the signs to look out mm. for and how I should mm. be feeling? Um, mm. So like I mentioned earlier, educational points of view, I think at school, uh, when I was at school, it was shocking. Mm. I, I completely agree. And I think for a long time of my life, I a, didn't realise, I, I was in denial probably because um, I didn't think mental health was a thing. Mm-hmm. And B, a lot of the time when, when I would have anxiety a lot, I would just get told I was worrying. Oh, you're just worrying about, you're just yeah. worrying too much, you're doing this too much. So then I would think that it was actually not a thing. And it was only until I was 21, I'd had one batch of therapy, and I started talking about depression in that article, that I actually went, hang on a sec, these panic attacks that I think are just stress, these are actually panic attacks. This is anxiety. Yeah. Like, did, I, did I had the, no idea. Did therapy work for you first time around? Uh, for CBT, it did, mate. But I think yeah. it was it was more the the bottle was unleashed at university because I was in a safe space to open up, and the the first batch of therapy was just getting me recognizing it and acclimatizing to it and being able to articulate it. You know, I needed mm. to have a second batch recently to tackle, you know, another issue that I had to deal yeah. with. Um, so I think it I think it definitely worked for me because I you know I'm very extroverted. I need people to talk to. But I know mm-hmm. it doesn't work for everyone. Um, when you were going through all this in school, Ash, did, did you ever tell anyone about it or, or have anyone you could rely on for emotional support, perhaps your grandfather or, or someone else? Yeah, I, I talked to my granddad about it and he was he, he was of the generation of granddads as we know them to be, which was um, kind of stiff upper lip mentality. Mm-hmm. But he was very in, in touch with uh, you know his emotions he'd openly cry in front of me about mm. you know my grandma passing and and even some minor stuff so I could talk to him about him about stuff but um there's only so much a 90 something year old man can can do to help um about and as I mentioned earlier I was just too shy and headstrong to seek out any kind of help mm. one question I wanted to ask you about Ash which is uh, I think some people might think it's a bit trivial, mm-hmm. which is your hair colour. Now, mm-hmm. for the listeners, you are ginger, and <sighs> we know that throughout the ages, ginger people have been maligned and abused, even by people who get abused themselves, which is really sad. Yeah. Um, was was this ever a factor in in your school life? You know, did it ever factor into the unhappiness that you felt or not? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you're it's it's a difference, isn't it, with ginger hair? It's just something to differentiate you from anyone else in, in the class. It's a target on your back. It's an easy target, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an easy target. Uh, and I had it from the ages of, from, from the youngest I can remember being targeted for big ginger. I think it was about year four. Mm. And I remember it because I punched the kid in the face. And well, there we go. We're not condoning violence, but that no, is one. <laughs> I don't think, God, how old would I be in year four? What would I? Uh, how about old eight? That? Eight, yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember it vividly because I'd, I'd had it probably for a couple of weeks afterwards. And I'm not an aggressive person. I wasn't an aggressive kid at all. But that was like, you, know, learn, you learn to control that as you, as you get older. But I remember, I remember the guy's name. I'm not going to say it. And um, 
but yeah, I'm, I'm just, it was definitely a problem. I was sat here and on my desk, I've got a picture of uh, my son who has inherited the gene. And, oh, um, and he's more, I mean, my gingerness is, is sort of mellowed somewhat. So he's now at kind of the peak ginger years of five and six, like, like I was. And, um, it's, it's a worry for me because I think, God, he's going to go through all that kind of crap I went through at school. Mm. Um, and that that is a sort of cause of stress uh, for me because I wonder how he's going to cope with that because it will happen. You know, he will get picked on it for it at some point. If it's, or it's already happened. You know, he, he's already talked to me about it um, before. Um, so I just want to make sure that he is able to cope with that in the right way because it is shit. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's just hair. That's all, that's all it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously you emerged from this period and, and carried on with your life. Um, just a couple of questions here. What, what first of all do you think got you through this period and what did you learn from it? And also if you could say anything to that 14 year old Ash that might help him or, or reassure him, what would mm-hmm. it be? Um, I'd say to 14 year old Ash that everyone else in your class is also still a virgin. Um, <laughs> I'd, <We'll leave> that <laughs> uh, I'd, I, and I'd, I'd, I'd say to just not try too hard. I think I tried too hard at, at certain times to try and sort of get cooler friends or to become a cooler person. Um, and it was just kind of a vain attempt at kind of, being more popular and actually i didn't I, I i would say to them now just don't stick to the few great friends you've you've got stick to your family stick to the stuff you love and just like forget about everyone else because they don't care about you mm. we get to sixth form now ash and mm-hmm. you ended up not going to university what what made you to take that decision? Um, was it made for you and who's the ash we meet at this point now that we've gotten we've gotten out of secondary school yeah, so I went to, I, I sort of did college, I did TV and radio production, so I really wanted to be in the media. Um, that didn't happen to be very, um, you know, you know, just very high, difficult market to get into uh, mm-hmm. with, it is probably more difficult now than it, than it, than it was then. Um, and I didn't want to go to university because I didn't, I enjoyed college, but I, I just was quite keen to get into work. Mm-hmm. I was quite keen to start earning my money i was quite keen to move out i was quite keen to have cash um and i just started at the very bottom got a really low job and luckily just fell into marketing and digital marketing which is which is what i'm in now but at that at at that time i didn't know i didn't really know who i was i didn't know what i wanted to be what, what i wanted to do um and it was just a very for me it's a very hazy time because like i said i enjoyed it but i haven't got great memories and i don't think i learned <laughs> i don't think i learned an awful lot um and i do remember because my i lived in basingstoke at the time and i used to go to farnborough where i went to college and i didn't drive so i had to get like a bus at six in the morning to get in for nine. Oh god and for anyone that doesn't know basingstoke to farnborough is like a 40 minute drive tops so yeah that that is a killer that i i remember um did you did you ever feel any pressure at all to go to university ash either from maybe your parents or your peer group um and did did you ever feel like it was 
you know, from, from their perspective, from your peer group, I mean, was it the be-all, end-all? And why is it important to state that it isn't? Yeah, so uh, I've got three great mates, which I've always had still great mates with Dave, or three mates I've got now, really. And, um, you yeah, two of them went to university, wanted to do journalism, wanted to do uh, archaeology, uh, what's it called? Time team History stuff. Art? Like, yeah, um, digging up old stuff in the ground. Oh, like archaeology or that's something the word. like that. Yeah, yeah. That's the word. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just come across so dumb. Um, it's um, So it was... Yeah, like so, never something that appealed to me at all. But um, they really wanted to go to university, and I was jealous. And I, you know, my partner also went to university, and there was a bit of me now that feels like I missed out on a lot of it. Um, but I, I was just that's that's the route I wanted to take at the time. That's the journey I wanted to go on, and I'm happy with where I am now. Um, so, if 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 you don't want to go to university um, or you do want to go to university, just follow, follow your heart at the time. Um, if you, if you feel like you've missed out on education, you can still learn stuff in your twenties, thirties, like forties. I know an uncle that's still, that's just taken a, a course in business studies at 42. So, you know, you can, you can do anything you want when you, when you want. So don't feel like there's a time pressure on, anything which is something i wish i was told then to be honest because uh, i did stress about it for for a, for a little bit of time um thinking oh should i go in because everyone sounds like they're having such a great time should i go in next year um but wasn't meant to be i think that's a, what you just said there about you know no not being a time pressure on it and not feeling any obligation as well is, is such a great message um ash you, we get to adult life now, so we're fast-forwarding a few years, and it's at age 24 that your granddad passed away. Now, we spoke about it earlier in the pod as something that you turned into a positive with Open. But when yeah. you were going through it, you said that in the article, I threw myself straight back into work, assuming that forgetting about it and pushing it to one side was the best way for me to cope. It very clearly wasn't, and I think myself lucky to still be here today with what followed. If yeah. you could say, what did you mean by that? Um, so yeah, my granddad died. I was 24. I think I was about 25 or 26. Uh, I moved to Somerset for work, which is three hours from friends, family life, really for a job that I was kind of told that if you don't, you know, we're going to relocate you. If you don't move, you're going to lose your job. I quite liked the job. Uh, it was well paid. Um, so I decided to go, um, being that distance away from my friends, my family, also not being able to go and sort of visit my grandfather's grave, which I did religiously, um, was, was very difficult, um, was very difficult for me. Um, and it was at at that point when I was in Somerset that I I tried to, I tried on a couple of occasions to uh, take my own life. Um, something I've, I've, I've since been told, um, that my attempts on my life were rubbish by a therapist. Yeah. To quote, to quote the therapist, a genuine quote, um, he went, gosh, you're shit at suicide. And, um, truth was I was, but I think the thing is, but I, deep down, I didn't want to do it. I think if I, if I did, I don't think if I did really want to do it, I don't think I'd be here today, but I went to the effort and, um, you know, I really did believe that the world would be a better place without me in it. Um, and it was, the, it was the lowest I have ever been. I didn't think it, I could, I didn't think I could feel as low 
Um, and you know, people have people always said to me, I saw it in films, read it in books. You know, the term rock bottom. I didn't actually know what it meant, um, but if, if, like, fuck me, I know what that I know what that feels like now, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. That point you made is, is something that I've heard echoed across not just my own podcast that I did, mm-hmm. Ash, but across many other people who have had suicidal feelings. Um, they always say to me, and this is something I echo, is that when we're in that space, and it's funny what you said about your therapist saying you're shit at suicide, in, in inverted commas, because <laughs> I said that I didn't want to die, but I simply did not want to live. Is that something yeah. you'd agree with? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really... Uh, good way of putting it. Uh, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I can put it any better really than that. You've done that really well. Yeah, I did. I didn't want to die, but I just didn't want to live. Yeah. Mm. And you're now a proud dad. Mm-hmm. You're a loving partner or fiance, I should say. I don't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a successful man at the same time. I'm sure somewhere, wherever he is, your granddad is immensely proud that you didn't go through what, with what you did and you're leading the life you deserve having gone through so much pain and suffering. How, how proud of you, how proud are you, I should say, of yourself for the bravery you showed? Because you were brave. Let's, let's make sure we emphasize that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, my partner always tells me that I don't, I don't give myself enough credit. And I, I recently sort of wrote um, in sort of a local newspaper, the sort of tale of, you know, my journey and my suicide attempts and you know th- my mum picked up the local paper um I didn't tell her it was going in there um because I know she got it I thought you know it'd be a surprise and she said to me that um oh actually I was reading I was, she calls me Ashley no one calls me Ashley apart from my mum it's Ash uh so now Ashley I was um you know, I was reading this and I was in I was in tears you know I didn't know xyz and it struck me that the suicide attempt that I was I'd written about in this newspaper. I don't, I'd not actually told my mum about it. Mm. Um, and that was, that was really like hit me. Cause I think I, I talk, you know, at conferences, I talk to schools about being open and sharing. And I realized I had not shared something so important and so crucial with, you know, one of the most important people in my life. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that was a, that was a real shock really um to me um that but you know i still talk to my partner today and friends and there's still stuff that i've repressed um you know things that i've done things that i've written you know Mm. uh that it comes back and i think oh god there's something else that has just come to my mind and Mm. um you know i have good days more good days now than bad days but yeah i still have I still have bad days, um, mm. absolutely. But I think if 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 my granddad was somehow listening to this, I'd, I'd really like to think that he was not um, too pissed off at me <laughs> for the actions that I took. Because um, I think if if he knew what I'd attempted, um, yeah, I'd get a proper bollocking. Like, you know, he'd be like, don't, like, he, he would much rather me remember all the good times that we had and, you know, reminisce than think about, you know, oh, I wish I had those good times again, when actually I now need to think about how lucky I was to have those times when I know there are lots of people out there who um, aren't as lucky as me. You know, that old saying, it's, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Mm. um and that's something i hold true to my heart now 
Before we move on to your um, three peaks challenge attempt, Ash, which you, I know you were really keen to talk about on the pod, just quickly on when you, you had that moment with your mum, mm-hmm. after you had that, is it fair to say that, you know, was it a platform for a better relationship between the two of you? Was it something that sparked better conversations and more open conversations? You know, how did that change both your lives from that moment onwards? Yeah, I mean, I love my mum to the, to the end of the world, but and um, I think... We've been always been open about, you know, uh, my mental health. and But I think that article in particular um, that she read, and because it was such a long-form piece, I think it really hits her quite hard. And I also think it made her understand more exactly what battles I had faced, am facing, and the, the stuff that I went through, and give her a better more rounded view of mental health to take it um not that she didn't take it seriously at all because she did but i think when it when it's that close to home um and it's in black and white in front of you it's a lot more powerful and i think that that definitely helped strengthen the already very strong bond mm. Moving on now, Ash, and this three peaks challenge attempt was something that you really wanted to discuss. Now, just tell me about this part of your story, what happened and why you wanted to do it. Ah, oh, mate, so the three peaks, where do I start? So, yeah, we wanted to do, like I said earlier, a big fundraiser. I'm, mountain climbing is one of my loves. I've done it for, for as little as I remember. And I wanted to do you know, the three peaks of Ben Nevis in Scotland, working my way down Scarfell Pike in the lakes, finishing off Snowdonia in, in North Wales. Awful lot of miles, awful lot of walking, hiking, climbing. Um, so, yeah, we went to Ben Nevis, started the climb really early. I think it was like one or two in the morning. We made it to the top of Ben Nevis. As the only people there, could not see a thing. It's just thick fog. So disappointing. Um, and... Yeah, only people there, so it was really amazing to just have that space all to ourselves for a little bit, um, which was was just me. I say us, it's me and uh, my mate Christian, who who did the walk with me. On the way back down, Ben Nevis, again, making really good time. Uh, He tripped or slipped and uh, hurt his knee, um, and sort of we had to hobble down the rest of the mountain. He couldn't carry on. Uh, He hurt his knee that badly. Um, we drove the sort of six, seven hours. Because, I mean, the one thing that took me by surprise is just how, like, big Scotland is. Like, I'd never I'd never been to Ben Nevis before. Like, you you get past Edinburgh and you think, oh, it must be near, like, now. No, it's like not, like, another three hours of just driving through, like, nothing. Um, it's insane, but incredibly beautiful. So, seven-hour drive down to the lakes, and I was kind of hoping the whole journey that, like, come on, his knee's going to be better. Uh, it wasn't did Scarfell Pike alone. I ended up taking a, a a route which I can't remember. It's a really dodgy route which I'd not taken before up Scarfell, and um, yeah, I very ne- I, like I genuinely could have died going oh, wow. up it. Yeah, it was scary. And I was climbing up this bit. I didn't have uh, the equipment with me. I'd left a vital piece of equipment in the car. Uh, I think it's just tiredness. Um, not stupidity. I was all uh, very prepared. Um, just, just forgot something, and you know, I was looking upwards at the sheer uh, face, and I know I genuinely, I genuinely thought like, you know, this could be it. It was 
a scary, really scary realization. Um, you know, it's weird, isn't it, to think that you know, I was there thinking, "Shit, I don't want to die." To a couple of years beforehand, thinking, "Someone kill me." Um, yeah, um, but it was it was unbelievable. Luckily, I managed to um, get to the top, and I found these three blokes who had done three peaks many a time. It was just us four on the mountain at this point, and they helped me through because at the top of Scarfell, I honestly couldn't see my hand in front of my face. It was like one step wrong and i was i was a goner um and yeah luckily stuck with those guys for a bit very experienced uh mountain guys who'd done who knew knew the peak inside out um but then on the way down from scarfell i i've just buggered my knee um i've had knee problems a lot from when i played football when i was young guys never really affected me um but as i was coming down scarfell i sat on this rock and the sun was going down uh, over the lake and I just sat there and cried my eyes out for probably 10 minutes because um, I just knew that I like I wasn't able to f- complete the challenge. If I did try and complete it, it would have been just sheer stupidity to go on to do Snowdonia. Um, but yeah, I just the, the feeling that I'd let everyone down who had donated money, at the fit, I, felt, I felt I'd let myself down. Um but that moment of having one of the most popular climbs in the country to myself uh, at um, sunset uh, was was amazing. That's a, that's a, that's a a moment that I'll forever remember. It was just incredible. Mm, that's be- that's beautiful what you just said, Ash. Um, I wish I could have sort of been a fly on the wall when you were mm. sort of being upset, but at the same time taking in that moment. It's a bit of a weird sort of mix of emotions. It must have been. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, because like I said earlier, Lake District's a spiritual home of mine. I've been going there since I was a, a young boy. So it holds, you know, really special place in my heart. There's so many memories um, of it with friends and family. Um, so yeah, being on that peak in that spot um, was, yeah, I was crying for two reasons, really. I was kind of crying with happiness at the at the period I was in when you when you're sat there and you're reflecting you know a lot of emotions you know run through you a lot of memories come flooding back um so it was very very odd but um like you said it was it was quite beautiful really Mm. a lot of people are quick to publicize the challenge they do ash whether it be for charity or just in general because they want Mm. to take it on um but very few I've I've ever seen would publicize their failure to complete a challenge why were you keen to be open about yours and, and what message did you want it to send um i was, I was quite keen because I, I a people had donated money so i wanted people to know that like i'd really tried fucking hard like it's something that i was fit enough to do and i could have done so i was just so gutted that i couldn't do it because of an injury um so i wanted to let people know that like we really did try our hardest to, to do it and we really did want to do it and the second thing was that I wanted people to know that it's no, there's no shame in coming second. Um, there's like no, no shame in, in defeat. It's, you know, it's really is the trying that is the effort. It's, it's trying that, that counts. And, um, you know, it's something that I, I know someone out there listening to this, maybe think, oh, I you know that's something that a loser always says, you know, that it's the, it's the taking part that counts, but it, it really it really is when you're when you're so focused on a challenge when you're so focused on completing something whether that's like 
the three peaks challenge or um you know running a mile a challenge for someone is 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 very you know it's very different so if just doing just do doing my best and i want to share with people that just doing your best is is all that matters as long as you do your best um like fuck the haters really Mm, i love that saying yeah um just looking back on it and reflecting now, Ash, what have you taken from that challenge that you've used in your life today? And and just for anyone listening to the pod who might have gone through what you did or, or something similar, what advice would you would you give them to help them get through it? Um, for anyone that's kind of wanted to do something and hasn't been able to do it, um, I would really advocate to try it again. Uh, like I said, that's something we were we were doing. I'm that I'm very competitive a person, like annoyingly competitive. And so if I haven't been able to do something, I'll keep trying until I do it. That's just that's just in my in my DNA. Um and I just it, it, it would just be it would be amazing for me and the group of us that did it um to be able to to complete it and we will we will do soon i'm positive of that but if anyone that's listening that um needs comfort i think just have belief in yourself that you can accomplish you know anything you want and i i, I kind of get annoyed at celebrities that say oh you can achieve anything you want if you put your mind to it that's like that is a bit bullshit because it does like it's a lot of hard work and dedication to a, to really get what you want a lot of the time and um i think the media and the celebrities kind of make people feel a bit crap they're just thinking oh if i like if i want it enough it will happen and um it unfortunately it, it doesn't it doesn't and that's something i wish i was educated better on at school is that you really do have to work hard and want something to to get it and um that's that's probably a really big learning point for me from from the attempt is that um did i train well yeah i trained well could i train harder probably did i want it enough at the time probably not do i want it now 100 million percent like you know i'll make sure i train more and harder and better Another massive moment in your life, Ash, is when you became a dad. Now, how old were you when this happened and what effect did it have on you? Yeah, so um, I was quite young when it happened. I'm trying to think now, old. I think I was 23 uh, when I had Miles and I wasn't ready to have him at all. Like, I really wanted to have a kid. I really wanted to be a young dad, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't mentally prepared mm. for it. I, you know, it looks... Not that, not that being a parent looks easy. It's tough, but that I only was really looking at the fun parts of being a parent and the good parts of being a parent. And I was of the opinion that I'd be able to take him to his first Reading match as soon as he popped out. And I think, you know, I was just naive to naive to it and young and stupid. Um, and it did massively affect me because I was always thinking, you know, am I a good enough dad? Should I have had a kid? Have I done the right thing having him now? Should I have waited? All those kind of real big questions. Um, I was just putting so much pressure on myself to to be perfect, and it, it actually made made the opposite effect. Really, I was mm. trying too hard and not not 
really delivering. Mm. Those first few months after you became a dad, Ash, who, who's the Ash we meet here? Is it someone completely different to the person before you became a parent or, or was it a bit more of a nuanced answer? Um, it was, that was different, definitely different from, from the minute, uh, you know, I saw him for the first time, my life changed and I felt, I felt that weight pretty immediately because he wasn't a very, uh, he wasn't well as a baby Mm. for the first eight to 12 weeks, he was quite seriously ill. So, I mean, that was very difficult because you're not only in charge of a life, you're in charge of a critically ill life and um you start questioning everything you did sort of during the pregnancy like Mm. you know it's so that was that was really scary and i um it was it it definitely it changed me overnight like a flick of a switch um Mm. the pressure i put on myself um work for example you know i was okay in my job but then suddenly i wanted to get back to work and get promotion and get a pay rise because i felt like i needed to help to buy xyz for him Mm. and give him the life i wanted to give him so it gave it 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 really did change me in in so many ways Mm. talking about you as a father now ash what kind of father would you say you are for, for for miles are you someone who is teaching him that as a man, it's okay to cry, it's okay to show emotion and vulnerability and perhaps help redefine that ideal of masculinity that might have probably had an effect on both of us growing up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's seen me cry um, n- uh, numerous times at numerous different things. Like I've cried at Disney films with him. I've uh, cried at football matches with him. I've cried talking about him with him like about how because i don't see him i don't live with him so i see him every other weekend and it's time i cherish so you know when i pick him up i'm like mate i really fucking missed you well don't swear but i say like you know i really i really missed you and i I get quite upset when i when i think about that and when i um when i'm with him it's time that i really cherish i'm as open with him as possible Mm. um about everything i really want him to grow up knowing that no matter what it is how minor he may think it is that he can come and talk to me um about literally anything Mm. um so i think yeah fingers crossed that's how he develops over the next few years as he he moves through primary school then into secondary school um but I'd, i'd really i'd really love him to be able to look at me and think yeah i can go to dad mm. that would mean an awful lot and if there are there are any sort of new dads or maybe even granddads listening to this podcast ash mm. and are struggling with the ups and downs that come with with fatherhood what advice would you give them before the big day happens and maybe sort of they're struggling during it as well um i'd say however you're doing you're doing great um before the pregnancy before the birth after the birth um just go at your go at your own pace um it, i think society wants to give us a lot of pressure for being the perfect mum or the perfect dad or the perfect granddad or whatever um and there's lots of sort of instagram parents that make you think that you're doing a shit job because you haven't got your kid xyz or they're not living in such a luxurious home or you know whatever it may be so i'd say just whatever you're doing trust that you're doing the good uh, the right thing and um don't um just yeah don't put too much pressure on yourself to be a to be a different person to do you want to be
our final topic of conversation, Ash, and it's one that I have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about mental health. Now, it's a bit of a tough question given the circumstances, but how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? Uh, mental health at the minute is good. I mean, I work in London and it's normally like an hour and 20 minutes commute for me into London every day. And I, I, the tube makes me anxious. I really don't like getting on the tube. I barely enjoy getting on the train. Um, so I normally have a nice walk to two mile, two and a half mile walk along the river to work every day. So that part of the the uh, my day I'm really missing. That's my thinking time. I put on a podcast, uh, put on some music, walk on the river, get my let my thoughts run free um so i really missed that element of it and the element of kind of getting to read on the train i feel like i'm kind of missing out a little bit on on literature at the minute um but i'm enjoying being at home weirdly i did i didn't think i'd enjoy it as much as i am but i'm really getting into a routine of getting up early i'm i'm working out every morning like i'm probably going to come out of this fit that i've ever been it's <laughs> i guess it's come out ripped. Yeah. 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 And then not be able to go away. So to, to <laughs> yeah, yeah. my hard work. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I think the, the thing I've really learned is that I can get into a good routine uh, quite quickly. So I'm quite proud of myself really for how quickly I've managed to um, change lifestyle effectively. I've not found it too difficult and I was really expecting to struggle. Um, so mental health the minute is I'm probably a seven out of ten every day so I'm, I'm pretty happy with that mm. and if you felt comfortable saying Ash what mental health issues or conditions if any do you live with and, and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life yeah I kind of have anxiety in several different forms social anxiety is something that I've always struggled with and I do struggle with now so being <laughs> isolated with your partner social anxiety kind of goes out the window it's quite nice yeah. um but I've, I still kind of get it you know when you have video, sort of video conferences with work and the, you sort of see yourself on the camera and you think oh fuck I don't like how <laughs> I look today like um or just put yourself on no video mate yeah mate I've been doing that a lot like I'll be like oh it's just the internet's not very good not and it's <laughs> The internet's fine. Like I just don't want you to see me. <laughs> That's it. Um, so, yeah, how are you coping? Um, do you know what, mate? The first week of lockdown, I really was struggling, I can't lie. Um, and it was probably because I was losing all my self-care tools. So no more music, as in gigs. I still can yeah. listen to music, but no more, no more gigs. So that was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, no more sport. So losing all the banter, losing all the conversations... Uh, losing all the football matches go to my, with my dad, you know, cricket matches possibly, mm-hmm. everything really. And that regular sort of consuming of information that I did to distract myself. So whether it was going on BBC Sport or whether it was listening to loads of sports podcasts, um, I lost that as well. Um, originally, I thought I was going to lose, you know, doing these vent pods. So that was a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I still was able to do vent articles and all that. But, you know, these podcasts really did help me and they kept, kept me gave me another form of distraction so mm-hmm. until i realized how to do them online they were they were a big thing um that i struggled with and i think i was i lost all my routine because the gym was another big thing that i lost so that was massive for me you know it's one it's self-esteem two it's routine three it's just chatting to people in the gym as well i don't, I don't so normally chat, yeah i don't normally chat to people for too long because it's not you know it's not a social club but just that interaction and you know that that general day-to-day stuff i did miss it's like when um, the postman and, drops off a parcel you're like wait just stop for yeah. two minutes have <laughs> yeah literally literally there was i remember seeing a, a, a picture of some a, a tweet of uh someone saying oh my dog is used to like talking to people 
and now he doesn't. He just stands at the top of the fence and waits for people to like, like <laughs> say hi to him. So even dogs are getting like socially, socially isolated. Um, but but yeah, I think, I think that's what I did struggle with. And I, when I got some routine back, so you know, I said I'll read for half an hour a day, and then I'll then I'll play some PlayStation, then I'll go for a walk, and then I'll you know um, I'll do some podcast work or i'll watch a tv show like as long as i had that structure back and doing different things instead of saying right i'm going to do my my shift at work and then i'm just going to sit another computer screen for four hours and binge watch that just made me hydrated it probably made me a bit ill so when i got that routine back it, it definitely did help for sure um what age what age do you think you were ash when you first realized that these feelings that you were having probably weren't physical and, and they were actually in your mind um oh. I'd say probably about 18 months after my grandfather died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me that long probably to realise exactly what I was going through. Because um, even at 18 months, I hadn't fully grieved. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's quite late, isn't it? But I think it all happens at different times, really. I know I know some people that um, that haven't it realised they've had issues until their mid-30s. And so, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's quite scary, really, and it just goes back to my point earlier about education. I think I, mm. I wasn't taught enough about it at school to realise feelings and emotions enough. Mm. And you alluded to it there a little bit earlier about a trigger, and you said you found you find uh, you know the, the London Underground uh, anxiety triggering. <laughs> but what other things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? Could they, you know, they could be things people might say, sounds, sensations, etc. Yeah, um, work uh, sometimes is a, can be a bit <laughs> like stress, you know, of, of performance anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. am I doing enough uh, at work? Am I do? Am I performing well enough? Um, and uh, a trigger I always had when I was growing up was when I played a lot of football. It was like mm-hmm. um, that was a big thing for me. Was playing football. So if I was left on the bench, or even more left out of the team, like that was definitely like uh, that's that's when i really felt it that's probably my earliest recollection of like anxiety in inverted commas was mm. that feel of rejection but other, other triggers in in life you know, there's certain uh artists music that comes on mm. and it can just take me back to a really shit place mm. um so i've now kind of and there's certain keywords that I read on Twitter. So all that kind of stuff, luckily now I've got technology, which I can just, I can hide it all. So I, ne- I never mm. come across it. But if you're in a restaurant and a song, uh, and, and a song comes on from an artist that I, that I have a connection with that is a negative connection, uh, then that's quite a difficult then because there's nothing I can do about it. So um, it's music's one of those really powerful um, tools, so it, mm. um, good and bad. So stuff like that I find difficult even in like the office environment when we've got kind of an office spotify on or an office radio like can be an office with 40 50 people and a song comes on with an artist that i don't like for a number of reasons that triggers me uh mm. that's that's difficult yeah mm. uh, and what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or or help you feel better you know which ones have you found that worked and maybe which ones that haven't as well uh i use headspace swear by it i think it's a fantastic tool luckily i have my employer uh, gives everyone in the business free Headspace account, which is amazing. Um, so that I and the, the, the tools on there, I, I think, are fantastic. Um, like I, like I said earlier, like I tried um, traditional forms of medicine and uh, therapy, 
uh, and they they didn't work for me. So the the tools for me are Headspace, music, and um, I, I read a lot of poetry. Like I never mm-hmm. thought I'd like poetry, but um, I read a lot of Dylan Thomas poetry, a lot of Wordsworth, a lot of Coleridge poetry, and that is kind of a nice escapism for me. Is mm. um, is that? And I've the last was it last? No, not last month. Maybe two months ago, I got a big Dylan Thomas uh, quote um, on my arm as a tattoo. So that's um, you know really a really new sort of love in my life for the last kind of three years is that kind of a newfound love of poetry, which helps me escape. Mm, that's great to hear Rash and, and uh, I'm sure you'll be pleased to know that, that Vent has its own poetry section so feel free to read uh, the poetry section or maybe write some yourself the door's always open to you I'm trying to um, yeah <laughs> well mate when you've got it ready send it over to me happy yeah, to have yeah, it on yeah. or, or you can have it on open first and then we'll we'll republish <laughs> um how do you support friends in your own social group Ash who may have mental health issues themselves or maybe going through a poor period of just mental health really um, I just try and be there is in, in any way I in any way I can really. Um and sometimes it's it's just dropping a voice message or a text um to someone and I think that that has so much importance uh, for such a little thing for so many people you can just such a little text can have such a big impact on someone's day and someone's outlook on life. Um mm. it's it's so undervalued. Like if someone's text you and you think, oh, I'll text it back later, just make sure you do because like it can, it can really make someone feel shit and seeing a seeing that your name pop up on their phone could just be the one thing that makes their day that little bit better. So that's, you know, what uh, I try to do. And, you know, it's also giving people space. Um, if, if they need to just ask them like outright, I, I do that with my friends all the time. I just say to them, look, do you, do you want me to come over for a beer? I'm not at the minute, obviously. COVID beer over video. Do you want um <laughs> do you want a COVID beer over video? Or do you want me to to leave you for a couple of days? Just, you know, I just kind of ask them and get, try and give them that space. I think that's for me the the best that's how I'd want to be treated. So that's how mm. I I treat others now. Mm. Toxic masculinity is something that we try and break down a lot in this pod ash. Mm-hmm. Firstly, what does toxic masculinity mean to you and what examples could you give about how it's entered your life? And secondly, we also talk a lot about positive masculinity on this pod as well, Ash. How mm-hmm. would you define that term and what are some of the qualities you think a man should have to exude positive masculinity? We'll, we'll talk toxic masculinity first. Yeah, I know we've we discussed this um, sort of off air before, toxic masculinity, and mm-hmm. I feel like um, we both have a love of uh, football. And I think that football is a sort of, unfortunately, still a breeding ground for it. Um, mm. That's the right uh, word to describe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, especially, um, especially kind of the lower the down the football pyramid you go, it seems to get sort of progressively more toxic. Um, so that's that's an area, a, a, an atmosphere which I love, an environment which I'm. I feel so at home at yet normally I'm surrounded by lots of people that have very different views from me. Um, mm. So toxic masculinity for me, the only really place I see it is really is in football and in sort of the typical red top newspapers, which still mm. want to portray um, negative negativity in that way. Um, 
which is which is really disappointing. And I know lots of football clubs are trying really hard to make clubs more family based, family orientated, and promote positive messaging. But I still think there's so much more that can be done. You know, I know Mind sponsored the football league this year, um, um, and I think some of the stuff they've done is great. But I still think there's so much more that we can do, and I think there's more that they could have done, the football league could have done with them to promote a much wider, stronger. Uh, message to each individual club. Um, just, um, just quickly, Ash, before we yeah. go on to positive, I just wanted to touch on what you said about um, the toxic masculinity when it when you go further down the the pyramid. <laughs> Would you say that? I mean, for me, growing up, I encountered toxic masculinity a through exclusion from playing football if I wasn't considered good enough to play with the other boys, and b I supported Huddersfield Town, so. Growing up in East London, surrounded by Arsenal, Man United <sighs> fans, especially in the Arsenal Invincibles era, yeah. that elitism is how it, it entered toxic, how it became defined as toxic masculinity as well. Is that something you would agree with as a Reading fan? Yeah, <laughs> nice dig. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> Solidarity, mate. Solidarity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, because I went to school with, and everyone was kind of Man United fans when they were on their in their pomp, winning trebles and title after title and you know when you're a Reading fan you've just lost a Warsaw in the Division 2 playoff final things are tricky um but uh it's it's definitely um something which I because I, I, you know, I went to a couple of non-league games last year and like the sheer vitriol towards some players and opposition fans um is unbelievable like it's so Toxic. And I don't want to do non-league football down because there are some fantastic, beautiful non-league clubs that are doing amazing things. And the fans, I think, non-league football fans are probably the best football fans in the world because they're so committed. Because they, you know, you know, you're not going to be winning the FA Cup. You know, you're not going to probably be winning the league. But you turn up every week. You know, you put on your overpriced replica shirt from the tiny club shop, and you turn up and sing your heart out. But unfortunately, a lot of that is tied in with alcohol. Um, and, um, you know, I remember it from going to the non-league games with my dad and, you know, even sort of division two games back in the day, which is, uh, league one for in new money, um, <laughs> is, is, is still a problem. You know, I haven't been to many Premier League games, so I don't know what it's like there, but I see it, I see it at Reading matches all the time and it's, mm-hmm. it's really quite upsetting still to, to see it. When we talk about positive masculinity now, Ash, how mm. would you define that term, even though there's not really a, 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 de- a defined definition for it yet? And what are the, some, of quali- some of the qualities that you think a man should have to exude to be defined as being positively masculine? Um, I think uh, an openness to all walks of life um, mm. and not to be, to be a good communicator, to be able to talk about your feelings. Uh, to be able to express your emotions, to be able to cry in public, uh, is it sounds uh, silly, but I remember I remember when my when my grandmother died. I was in France with my family, and I was in floods of tears at the time. Mum was in floods of tears. Brother was in floods of tears. My dad wasn't. He got out of the car and went behind a building to cry. And I remember that because I think, well, you'd. Now I think, why well, he obviously didn't want to cry in front of us. He didn't want to portray this kind of, um, you know, like he, he didn't want to appear like he wasn't a man in inverted commas. Um, so I think positive masculinity is showing emotion and not being, in, and not being embarrassed to 
uh, you know, the only difference between us and women is a few body parts. You know, that's that's it. We're all human. So um, I think it's just just being at one with with who you are is 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 great. Mm. Uh, and what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues? <clears throat> um, I think we have to take the conversation to the man and not wait for the man to come to the conversation. In, I think, going back to places like football grounds, rugby grounds, you know, places where men just congregate <laughs> um, and putting resources there for them. Uh free therapy booths, for example, uh, walk-in clinics, that kind of stuff, because it's there. And if you're there and you're feeling crap or you're wanting someone to talk to, then it's easier if it's at this place, which you frequent often, than having to go on the internet, find someone, call them, email them, arrange something. That takes a lot more effort and it's a lot easier if it's just there. So I think I'd like to see a lot more stuff uh, like that happen. And like, um, I'd like to see sort of mainstream sports TV channels and you know platforms doing more of that. Um, I've seen like, um, do you follow Football Joe on Twitter? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I listen to their How to Rugby podcast, which is really good. Yeah, so they do some really cool stuff. They're, they're, and they are, I think, trying to portray this more positive masculinity in in sport, which I think is fantastic. So um, more stuff like that, the better, really. Mm. And just finally, Ash, it's been a, a great topic and, and a great pod. And thank you for coming on again for the second time to do it with me. I think we've actually covered a few things that we didn't get to cover last time, which is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why do you think men throughout history have struggled to open up about their emotions and show vulnerability until, let's be honest, very, very recently? Yeah, that's it's really difficult, isn't it? I think it's got to stem back to kind of that stiff upper lip attitude of a man goes to the Man goes to work, brings home, you know, meat and two veg for his family, um, and does that day in, day out for 50 years, and mm. uh, not being able to show a vulnerability because it makes you seem, seem weak, apparently. So, um, is, yeah, where does it stem from? God knows. Are we getting closer to getting rid of it? I think so, but I think there's still a lot of, of work t- to do. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. Ash, thank you so much for being my guest on this episode's pod. I hope you enjoyed this attempt at doing the pod as much as you did the first time. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work or colleagues about it. Or if you're feeling very generous, write us a review on iTunes. Stay safe. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, it's always okay to vent.